I kind of got caught off guard the other day. <clears throat> I forget where it was, but um, business transaction at a store or something, and, and, you know, they'll say, have a good day or whatever, and they said, be safe. And I walked away thinking, be safe. What would... I thought I ought to say be strong back to him, you know, because my safety's in God's hand. I need to be strong. And um, in all that's going on in our world today, we need to be strong. And as it ends there, and rejoice for the victory is yours. You know, the best is yet to come and we can't we can't forget that. And um we sang, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Um, tonight, be prepared to share some of the glorious deeds of God, how you've proved Him over and over again. And as I was singing that, I thought, man, the longer you live, the more opportunities you have to trust Him and the more opportunities you have to prove Him over and over again. And that's why he says, let the older people teach the younger. The older ones should have, we should have a whole plethora of glorious deeds of God that He's done in our lives. And to be able to build the faith and point to that and and to rejoice in that. So, um, God is on the throne. He is at work. We praise Him for that. invite you to turn again to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. The story is told um, after an evening out, some parents returned to their home to their children whom, whom they'd left with a babysitter. And they were pleasantly surprised to find the kids all fast asleep in their bed. And when the sitter had been paid, just as she was walking out the door, they were saying, thank you so much. You did such a great job. She said, oh, I need to tell you something. I promised Sammy that if he would stay in bed, you would get him his pony in the morning. (laughs) Well, undoubtedly the parents had to deal with Failed promises, right? And um, we've all been there. We've been on the end where we've promised something and couldn't carry through with it. We've been on the end where someone has promised something and we didn't benefit from it. And honestly, most of us remember the ones where someone promised us something and we didn't get it, right? We, We tend to forget the things we promised and didn't carry through on. Um, You may have heard recently, promises made, promises kept. Um, And it's important. Promises are are very, very important. And, And as a believer, we should be people of our Word. And we learn that from Scripture. In In the Bible, I don't know who counted this, but... There are over 8,800 promises in the entire Bible. And around 1,100 of those promises are in the New Testament. 
And um, it's interesting. Deuteronomy 28, an interesting chapter, has 133 promises that God made to the children of Israel. More than any other chapter in the Bible, needless to say. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing to predominantly Gentiles, and they are facing difficult times, persecution. And, and he says that God in His divine power has given unto us everything that we need for life and godliness. Now, that alone is encouraging. And to realize everything we need for life and godliness, God has given to us. And he says then, at the end of verse 3, And that comes through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He says, I've given you everything that relates to life and godliness, and it comes through the knowledge of God, and you will find that He has given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by these great and precious promises, we would be made partakers of the divine nature of God and we would be able to escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. I don't know about you, but I want to escape the corruption that is in this world. I want to escape the corruption that is in my own heart by lust. I want to escape that. And he says it all hinges around knowing God, knowing God and making Him known. That's our goal. But it's knowing God through these exceeding great and precious promises of God. Um, someone has paraphrased verse 4. By the means of these, He has bestowed on us His precious and exceeding great promises, so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay, the rottenness, and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust, and greed. And through these promises, you will become partakers or sharers of the divine nature. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. And, and that desire. But as you know from just living, all promises are dependent upon the character of the one making them. All the promises of God depend on God's impeccable character that we have been studying through the attributes of God. And when you think about the promises of God, it's in complete contrast to the promises of politicians. It's in complete contrast to the promises of people that may be trying to sell you something on on Craigslist and and telling you all how wonderful this is. If it's so wonderful, why are you wanting to get rid of it, right? And there's good reasons to get rid of things. But at any rate, the greater the promises, 
the more we have a tendency to think, I don't know. You've heard it said, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, And the reality is, when God makes a promise, it is backed by His perfect character. And, And it is backed by the fact that He has never been wrong and He's never had a promise that He failed to come through on. In the fullness of time, after waiting centuries, God sent forth His Son. He promised that a virgin would give birth to a child, and He fulfilled that. I mean, there are, there are people that are making promises today about various and sundry things, and even in, even in Christian circles, um, saying that they've had revelations and this and that's going to happen. Well, you know, if you follow through on many of these, um, they, don't, they don't come to pass. The real test of a prophet is they're never wrong. If they're of God, they're never wrong. Because God gives a promise and it's never wrong. He fulfills His promises. And, really, the Bible, and in particular... In particular, the Old Testament is given to show us, look at God promised this, and He fulfilled it. And God promised this, and He fulfilled it. And God promised this. Uh, reading recently, and again, I'm, I marvel at it. We become so familiar with it. But Joshua and the battle of Jericho. I mean, that did not make any sense. How would you like to have been Joshua, and, and you're going to your military personnel these are trained fighters. And, and you're going to say, all right, men, sit down. We've got, we've got, I heard from God, and this is the battle plan. And you know the battle plan. March around the city six, once each day for six days, and the seventh day seven times, and blow your trumpet. God said he would do it. They had enough faith to believe God, and what happened? He did it. I mean, all throughout, the, all throughout the Old Testament, we find over and over again, God said this. He said, stand still. The battle is yours. You won't have to lift a, lift a weapon. And God brought the victory. He said to Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. And God flooded the earth. All throughout, all throughout the Old Testament. And He tells us in the New Testament that these things were written for our admonition that we may learn from them. And one thing we can learn is when God promises something, you can count on it. It's, it's a done deal. It's not 95%. It's not 99.5. It's 100% true. And if He's promised something and it hasn't yet been fulfilled, don't worry. He will fulfill it or He is not God And there is no hope. But we know that He is God based on His character. The the promises that were made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the prophets. I mean, we could do series after series on them. But we need to be very, very careful that we discern the difference between promises that were made to certain people and principles that we can learn from them. 
For example, we often quote Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That promise was made to Israel, specifically to Israel. God has a, a specific plan and purpose for Israel. That promise was not made to the United States of America or any other country. God has a totally different plan for Israel. Israel, he has a permanent plan for them that they will return to the land. God will come back and reign and rule. It's a totally different plan than God has for America. So, does that not apply to us? We can take principles from it. The principles that we take from it are, number one, we ought to humble ourselves. We ought to pray. We ought to seek God's face. We ought to turn from our wicked ways. But we cannot claim on the promise of God's word that he will heal our land. In in his doing, he may do that. But we know that God's plan for Israel is completely different much more permanent, humanly speaking, than it is for our nation. God has worked workings of revival. But to say, God, you said if we would do this, you would heal our land. That promise was specifically given to Israel. Now, I am all for us, as I just said, humbling ourselves, pray, seeking God's face, turn from our wicked ways, And then we leave it in God's hand, what he does. You will find um, many people will have on their Instagram, Twitter, who knows, graduation cards, wedding cards. They'll have Jeremiah 29, 11. And in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah is, is giving a message to those Jews who are held in captivity in Babylon. And he said to them that he said in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, let me read in verse 10, For thus says the Lord, so this is the Lord, After seventy years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Here's verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So, here's a specific command. You know the promise. You know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of prosperity. Thoughts of peace. These specifically are given to these in bondage. And he says, you're going to be here for 70 years in bondage. But in the midst of that 70 years, remember that I am for you. 
that that I I have thoughts of goodness and peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And he has a hope for those people. He had a future for those people. And and he goes on and says, you'll call unto me and I will hear and will answer. Now, those are specifically to those in Babylon, Jews in captivity. He said, you'll be in captivity another 70 years. The principle for us is not, I'm going to be in captivity another 70 years and God's reminding me that He's for me. The principle is, we know from other scriptures, God is for us. There, there's no questioning that. And the reality is that, yes, He designed us. He has a plan and purpose for us. And so, we, we need to understand there are certain things that are commands specifically to Israel. But there are principles we can learn from them. But now I want to get in. There are definitely promises that are given to us. And, and all of these promises that have been given are to give us an unshakable foundation for trusting God and, and seeing His power at work in our life. God always does what He says He will do. And those always aren't positive things. When He said He would flood the earth, that wasn't a positive thing to everybody but eight people. But God fulfilled His promise. So, I don't, I, I've got 15 promises here. I don't know if we'll get through them. But turn to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. And, and this is so important that we learn to personalize these promises and, and realize this is what God said. I can count on Him. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, most of you are familiar with this verse, but it contains two promises. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's promise number one. That's not a very positive promise, is it? He says, the end result of sin is separation from God. It's death. Physical death, spiritual death. So, if, if you sin, the end result of that sin is death. That's a promise. And, and from the very beginning, God promised Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, He said, you will die. And God kept His promise. So, that's one promise in there. The second promise is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the second promise. Sin equals death, but through Jesus Christ, it's a gift. We don't earn it. We don't buy it. We don't deserve it. It is a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ alone. That is the the highest promise that God has ever given. And all these Old Testament promises are to teach us to trust God for this, 
the pinnacle of all promises. Sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the promise that he gives. And it is, it is through Jesus Christ that I am pardoned of my sin. I'm no longer condemned. And I am given eternal life. I can know that I have everlasting life. Because this is what God promised. He, 1 John 5, He that has the Son, Jesus Christ, has life. He that does not have the Son, Jesus Christ, does not have life. And he said, I've written these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. The confidence of knowing we are a child of God is dependent upon the character of God keeping his promises. And this is the most important promise that you can trust God for because this has eternal consequences. So, foundationally, has there been a time that you have personally applied the blood of Jesus Christ to your sin and claim the promise of God. We can't understand it. We can't explain it all. We can't even begin to scratch the surface of it. But to know this is what God promised. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise of God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And notice, if you would look in verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The second promise we want to call our attention to, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There may be times that you feel forsaken by God. I mean, it, it may be a, a dark valley that you are going through, but God promised he would never leave you nor forsake you as a child of his. And that promise is something that you will need to cling to in the most difficult hours of your life. Because Satan will say, God doesn't care about you. God's forgotten you. God has left you. You are on your own. And you need to come back and say, wait a minute. This is a promise that God has said. And God keeps his promises, and I can count on this, although I may not see him, although I may not feel him, although it, it may seem like there is no help or hope, he said that he would never leave me nor forsake me. And the confidence that that can give us so that we can say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. See, we live in a day today that they're, they're pouring the fuel to the flame of fear everywhere you look. But wait a minute. The Lord is with me. 
He'll never leave me nor forsake me. So what do I have to fear? It gives us confidence. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In this world, we come to the point where we become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we still have the old nature dwelling within us. And there are times we yield to the old nature and we sin. And God gave this promise. Let me back up. If you say that you do not sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you, he says. But he says this, when you sin, this is a promise God says, If you confess your sin, meaning if you come and see your sin the way I see it, and not just admit that I did it, it's understanding uh, this this is why God calls this sin. And we confess our sin. He might forgive our sin. No. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but that is a great, great promise that I need. That is a great, great promise that brings security to know that when as undeserving, and I'm always undeserving, at your very best, our Our greatest righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And and when I come to Him, I can rest assured in His forgiveness. And His forgiveness isn't like people's forgiveness. He buries it in the depths of the deepest sea as far as the east is from the west. And we're restored to fellowship, full fellowship with Him. He will forgive our sins. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And verse 5. Notice this promise. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. He says, James 1, 5. This is a promise of God. That's why we're looking, turning, looking to Him. This is what God said. He said, if you lack wisdom in your marriage, in your business, in parenting, in school, in life choices, in anything, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's a promise. And God said, I will give it to you. I mean, why should God give us anything besides salvation even? I mean, that's enough. Way enough. But now He says, no, if you lack wisdom, you come and ask Me. And I will give it to you. 
I mean, that's better than Google. You know what I'm saying? You can Google about anything, right? But it isn't personal, is it? And you don't know if it's even right. This is God, the creator of the universe. And he promises to give wisdom. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And notice verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. Here's a promise. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's two promises here. God said, I promise I will resist the proud. Wow. That's, I don't want that promise. But he says, but I will give grace to the humble. I mean, you think of that. If there was ever a reason for us to embrace humility, it's I want to be in the place of grace. I want to be in the place where God's grace falls on me. I want to be where his empowering is at work in my life. God says, I promise you this. I don't care who it is. I will stiff arm the proud. I will resist the proud. The last person I want resisting me is God. You might think so-and-so is against me. My boss at work is against me. Listen, when we have a proud spirit, God is against us. And that's a promise. But he also promises when you humble yourself, he will give grace. Amazing. I mean, how God does this. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. So, what God is promising here. He promises in Philippians 4.19, and this is often the one that we quote, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Some of God's promises are conditional. This is a conditional promise. Philippians 4 is a conditional promise. Philippians 4 he had, if you'd look, we're not going to take the time, if you'd look in there, he commended the believers at Philippi because they had been giving to the needs of the other poor believers in other cities. And he said, because of that, God is going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, I want you to be a giver, to give not grudgingly, but to give cheerfully. And he says, and if you do this, 
God will make all grace available to you that you have all sufficiency in all things and you may abound to every good work, meaning God will meet your every need. Let me give another promise, the same, same thing. Matthew 6.33, we sing the song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things. And he's been talking about in the chapter, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? He says, seek first. This is a promise of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And he said, and all these other things shall be added unto you. God will take care of it if we seek him first. If we give bountifully. If we understand that we are stewards of God. But what a great promise. That he will supply our need as we honor him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the chapter Paul is saying, um, I've been given this great vision. I'm not sure um, what had actually happened, he said. You can read that. But he says, lest I be exalted above measure, verse 7, I was given a thorn in the flesh. And he said, three times I asked God to take this away. And notice verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Okay, so here's a promise. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul immediately acted on the promise. In this weakness, God's grace is going to be sufficient. So he said, as a result, I am going to, I am going to glory in my infirmities, in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may be seen. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Be strong in the Lord. So, God said, regardless of the weakness that you have, regardless of the circumstances, my grace will be sufficient for you. So, Paul said, if that's the case, praise the Lord. And I'm going to glory in in my affliction. Let me, let me just quickly, we're not going to have time to go through all of these, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he said that there will never come into your life a temptation that is unique to you that no one else has. That's a promise. And he said, I also promise with every temptation to provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We can never say, I couldn't help it. Because God promised every temptation to provide a way of escape. God promises peace through prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. You're going to have to spend time in God's presence to get that peace. 
He promised in Philippians 1, 6 that if He began a good work in you, the moment you trusted Christ as personal Savior, He began a good work in you, He's going to perform that work until Jesus Christ comes again. He's not like us. We start projects and we lose interest in it. We drop them by the side. No. He began a good work. He'll perform it. Here's a promise. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. You look at some of the evil that is in the world and, and, it, and it's ominous. It's, it's fear-inspiring. But you come back and realize, waiter, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit dwells with me, within me, and He is greater than all that is in the world. And to rejoice, that's a promise that God gave Romans 8:28 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are committed to his purpose same Romans 8 this is a promise 35 through 38 what can separate me from the, from the love of God can antifa hamas islam can a virus separate me from the love of God can economic disaster separate me from the love of God? Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness? He says, no, none of these things can separate us from the love of God. That's a promise. Regardless what comes, you can rest in this, that nothing can pry you out of the love of God. We are kept by the power of God. And, and rejoice regardless of what comes. And then he says in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's the promise. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also and I'll add, for all eternity. He said, I will come again. First Thessalonians 4, The trumpet of the Lord shall sound. The dead in Christ shall be raised. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, that's a promise of God and take comfort in it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, you might, you might say, yeah, I know the Lord's coming, but what do I have to go through before I get there? I don't know what we may have to go through, but I know 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, He promised that we would be saved from the wrath to come. We may endure Satan's wrath, but we will not bear the wrath of God. We are saved from the wrath of God. And the seven-year period of tribulation is the outpouring of God's wrath. So, we don't know what may take place before Christ returns, but we know nothing can separate us from the love of God. And no one can thwart God's promises. We don't even have the time to go into 
all the promises, I mentioned the seven-year period of tribulation, all the promises that he's already promised that he has not fulfilled yet. But when, when you realize, as Peter said, these are magnificent, these are precious, they're invaluable promises. And by these, by us believing them, and why wouldn't we? It's God that said it. By us believing them, we, we are partakers of his divine nature and we escape the corruption of this world. We, we can live above the corruption of our own heart and above the corruption of our own world. But it takes us dwelling on these promises and resting in them. We must day by day go to the Word of God and, and examine it for His character and search for His promises and fix your mind on a promise of God and hold that before you all day and use it to overcome sin, use it to incite you to, to acts of obedience to God, of righteousness and love. And this is why William Carey, the great missionary, said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. But if you never think about the promises of God, if you don't say, God, I am standing in this promise, we'll miss it. And we'll be mulling around in the corruption of this world. A.W. Tozer said, I must confess that in my ministry, I keep repeating some of the things I know about God and His faithful promises. Why do I insist that all Christians should know for themselves the kind of God they love and serve? It is because all the promises of God rest entirely upon His character. Why do I insist that all Christians should search the Scriptures and learn as much as they can about this God? It is because their faith will only spring up naturally and joyfully as they find God is trustworthy and able to perform every promise He has made. Oh, that there'd be a revival of us trusting the promises of God. We've just scratched the surface of them. But we many times walk on as, as though we, we are beggars and paupers and not resting in the promises of God. An aged Indian, half naked and famished, wandered into one of our western settlements years ago begging for food to keep him from starving. And while eagerly devouring the bread that was given to him, it was noticed that a brightly colored ribbon from which was suspended a small dirty pouch was seen around his neck. On being questioned, he said it was a charm given him in his younger days. And opening it, it displayed a faded, greasy paper which he handed to the investigator for inspection. It proved to be a regular discharge from the Federal Army entitling him to a pension for life 
and it was signed by General Washington himself. Here was, here was an Indian, served in the military, was given a pension for life. And he was living half naked, starved to death, because he didn't know about the promise, or he didn't trust the promise, and that's often how we are as believers. And there's no glory to God in that. And God left us here to glorify Him and to come back to the promises of God. And, and honestly, me listing these promises don't do you any good. You need to get in and mind those promises yourself. And the Spirit of God will lead them. And you can do that. You can go and the Spirit of God will lead you and mind you to the promise. And, and you'll dig through and find the promise of God that specifically meets your need at that time as you continue to seek Him with all your heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And God said that He would meet us. But it comes back. All of this all of this fits together, and I didn't plan this together. I started out, God led us to the attributes of God. But the attributes of God establish all this that we're looking at now. Because of who God is, you can trust His promises. And there will be glorious deeds. So, you know, it, it's easy for us to sing, standing on the promises. And we're going to sing it in just a little bit. But are you really standing on the promises? Are you really daily? What promise of God did you go to this last week? And maybe out of desperation, you cried out to God and said, God, I don't see you. I don't feel you. But you said that you would never leave me nor forsake me. When's the last time you said, God, thank you for the promise that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, that I have eternal life. God, thank you for the promise you will come again. God, thank you that nothing can separate me from the love of you. It, it feels like it, but God, I am standing in your promises. And as we do, we can see God glorified. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be brought to a renewed resting in Your promises. Lord, I pray that we would be brought to a, a renewed desire for knowing You so that then we can make You known. Known because we say, this is a promise of God and I know it's true. I've seen it in my own life. He's met every need as we'd honored Him. Lord, I pray that we would not be living as beggars and paupers in great need, but Lord, that we would be testimonies of Your gracious, merciful, kind, generous care. And Lord, I pray that we truly would stand in the promises even when the storms assail us, when the winds blow and the floods come, that, Lord, we would be firmly planted in the promises of You 
knowing that every promise of yours will be fulfilled and that nothing can stop your promises. Lord, may we reflect that in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Jason if he'll come and